Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And today is a two-part message that I'm going to be talking to you about from Romans chapter 12. And I've entitled the message, Seven Gifts Wrapped in Genuine Love producing seven acts of grace. And I know that's a long title, but we're talking about spiritual gifts today. Now, I know we all love getting gifts. I don't know about you. I love receiving and giving gifts. You know, recently, one of our church members had his hearing tested, and he discovered something that his wife already knew. His hearing was failing. Now, imagine this man. His name is John, whose hearing is failing, and he's in denial about it. Now, he usually would start complaining that, that people are mumbling. And, uh, and, and finally, his wife says, you know, you got the TV so loud. Why is the TV so loud? And he says, it's not that loud. And, and finally, his wife, Kathy, gets him to go and get his hearing tested. Well, the clear verdict is that he needs hearing aids. But when he sees what they cost, man, he's taken back. He says, we can't afford that. They were about $7,500. But his wife counters and she says... Buy the best ones and consider it a gift from me. Now that sounds nice, but the man realizes that to accept this gift is to admit his weakness. In order to get this gift, he's got to acknowledge that my hearing is failing. Now it'd be like saying, "Uh, thanks so much for this gift that you gave me for Christmas, a gift of a book that's entitled 10 Ways to Lose 10 Pounds. And as you receive this gift, you're kind of like, well, uh, are you trying to say that I need to lose some weight? Well, they kind of are, but it's a gift they're giving to you to help you so that you'll be in better health and so that you can be a blessing to other people. When I think about John's getting these hearing aids, I'm thinking about a man who can now give a gift not only to his wife, but also a gift to those who know him and to love him. When we think about spiritual gifts, there's two reasons why God gives us spiritual gifts. And by the way, everybody... Everyone who's born again, at the moment of your salvation, that's when you received at least one, maybe more, spiritual gifts. Now, when we think about spiritual gifts, they are given for two purposes, okay? Number one, to glorify God. When God gives us this gift, it's kind of like giving your, your son a new bike. You see him riding that bike, and you get as much joy out of that gift as he does. You are being glorified through your son every time he rides that bike. Now, this is another thing that we look at when we think about spiritual gifts. Not only is it good for glorifying God, but spiritual gifts also build up, encourage the church. You think about the gifts. Now, we're going to look at seven gifts today. There's more than seven gifts, but Paul addresses seven in Romans chapter 12. Now, spiritual gifts are recognized throughout Scripture, and the primary passages that deal with spiritual gifts are Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, sprinkled in other passages are different instances where it does talk about spiritual gifts, but those are the primary passages of Scripture. So we're just going to look at one text today from Romans chapter 12, and I want to give you seven gifts that are wrapped in genuine love, producing seven acts of grace. So this will be a two-part message, so join me tomorrow for part number two. But here's the first point, found in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Let me read the text, and then I'll give you the the seven gifts. Paul says, I want to say to you, through the grace that is given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's an interesting word right there, soberly, right? We know what it means to be sober. Uh, We know what it means to be drunk. Uh, I've discovered 
When people are intoxicated, they think differently. That alcohol affects their brain. And and I find that some people who never go to church, who have a very weak or non-existent relationship with Christ, whenever they get a few drinks under their belt, all of a sudden they become very religious. And yet Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think about, but think soberly. Why? Because God has given each one of us a measure of faith. Now, that's another interesting phrase, a measure of faith. Now, as I think about faith, there is saving faith, and then Paul mentions this little phrase, a measure of faith. Now, saving faith is just a little faith. It's childlike faith. It's the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. It's the faith that you need to be having in order to be born again. It's a gift that God gives to you so that you will believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that you'll put your faith and trust in Him and be born again. Saving faith is the faith of a child. And Jesus says, if you come unto me as a child, uh, that's the kind of faith you got to have in order to be born again. But then when we are saved, we get a measure of faith along with these spiritual gifts. And some people get more faith than others. Some people have different gifts than others. So Paul continues on this theme by saying, for as we are one body, that's one system, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And here are the seven gifts. Okay, I'm going to cover them real quick, and then we'll go by one at a time to examine these seven gifts that God gives to the church. Before we dive into that, I want to remind you, as you think about it, we are one body. You know, you think about your body, it has different members, but it's one body. Your your body has a hand and a foot, a leg, a heart. It uh, It has things you can't see on the inside of your body. It has things that you see every day on the outside of your body. Maybe we can think of it as a system. When I think about my house, for example, uh, your house is the same as mine. Uh, You may have a bigger house than me, and and the floor plan may be a little bit different, uh, but all houses have common systems in place. Uh, For example, there is a foundational system. Uh, That is what your house is resting on, and generally you don't see the foundation because it's covered over, but the foundational system is so essential to the integrity of your house. There's other systems in your house. There's mechanical systems within your house. Uh, These are systems that bring heating and air conditioning into your home. And uh, without these systems, uh, in the summertime, you're going to be really hot. And in the wintertime, you're going to be really cold uh, because you don't have an HVAC system, a mechanical system in your house. So houses are built today with mechanical systems. Houses also have plumbing systems. And aren't you thankful for that? Uh, Your house has plumbing. And that brings water into the house, and it brings waste outside of your house, and uh, it has these pipes that go throughout your house. And uh, and there's actually plumbing drawings that the contractor used when he was building your house. Uh, The plumber took those drawings, and he laid out the pipes where they needed to be, and he hooked you to the city water, he hooked you to the septic system, and voila, there you go, you have plumbing. You also have an electrical system in your house, and uh, we are so thankful for that, aren't we? That when you hit that switch, the lights come on, and uh, that electrical system uh, gives us power for all of our utilities and power for our stove and our microwave and, uh, and power for our computers, and, and so we have electrical systems within our houses. All these systems work together, but it's one house. The body is the same way. How you think about our body, how God designed our bodies. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what we needed. So he designed our body in such a way that we work in unison. Now, the church is the same way. 
Paul reminds us that we are individual members one of another, and we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So God gives us a measure of faith, and then he gives us grace to carry out these gifts that we have. Now, I think about spiritual gifts as two things I think that you've got to realize when it comes to your spiritual gifts, and how do you know what spiritual gifts you have? Well, everyone has at least one. We know that. And nobody has all of them. We also know that uh, because some of these gifts are kind of diametrically opposed to each other. And so I want to encourage you to figure out where God has gifted you. Now, it's not hard. Uh, There's actually a spiritual gifts inventory that you can take online, and it's a free test that you can take. If you will Google in churchgrowth.org backslash spiritual gifts, you can take a free 108-question test. And uh, there's no right, no wrong answers with this test. Uh, You go ahead and take this test, and it will tell you where your strengths are. So Paul gives us a list. And let me give you that website just again, in case you want to look it up. Okay, churchgrowth.org backslash spiritual gifts. Take that 108-question test. It's one of those things you just kind of, you just hit one of three answers. For example, uh, the very first question on that test asks this. Do you have a consuming passion? to reach the lost. And you have three options. Always, sometimes, never. Always, sometimes, never. So answer that honestly, right? Don't answer it the way that you think it should be answered because we know it should be answered. Oh yeah, I always have this desire to reach the lost. But the bottom line is, be honest. I find that most people don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I wonder who I can share the gospel with today. I think most of us, when we get in the morning, I don't know about you. When I first wake up, I'm not even sure that I'm I'm saved. I mean, I'm trying to figure out where my glasses are, and I'm trying to figure out what day it is and what am I supposed to be doing. And I tell you what, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, my mind feels like it's scrambled eggs. My thoughts are all over the place. I don't know who I am, what I'm supposed to do, or, or where I'm going to go that day. So it takes me a few minutes to get going. And somebody had a shirt that says, don't talk to me until I have had my first cup of coffee. Well, I tell you what, I probably need two or three cups of coffee before you can talk to me. So when you think about that first question, I have this consuming desire to reach the lost. If that is most of the time or all the time for you, then you hit that little circle that says always. If it's seldom, then, then, then be honest. It's, or if it's never. Uh, so you go through and you take these 108 questions. And at the end of the questions, they will give you a summary that shows you your strengths. Now, they measure 12 different areas. Today, we're just looking at seven, okay? So here's the first spiritual gift that Paul mentions, Romans chapter 12. And he says, it is prophecy, okay? Now, the apostle here, Paul, is speaking not about prophecy like the Old Testament saints or the Old Testament prophets. In the New Testament, the gift of prophecy takes on a little bit different meaning, okay? In the Old Testament, a prophet would meet with God, and then he would give a message to the people of God. Now, in the Old Testament, if a prophet misunderstood or got the prophecy wrong, man, he was killed. That was the end of him. In the New Testament, what the prophet does, think more of your preacher, your pastor, right? Uh, the prophet is the one who gets up and he proclaims the word of God. What he does, he's, he studies God's word and he comes up with a message and he faithfully gives that message to you. So the prophet's gift in the church is the one who is giving the word of God to the congregation. And many times you have many prophets within a congregation. It may not just be the pastor who gives the message on Sunday. It may be your small group leader. It may be your Sunday school teacher. Uh, It may be somebody who is teaching our our students in our our student ministry. Uh, They are giving the kids God's word. 
As you look at the gift of prophecy, Paul talks about it again in Ephesians chapter 4 and 11. He says that God gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. So this is a unique gift that is given to those who faithfully communicate God's word. So as we look at this, a prophet is distinct from a teacher. In a very general sense, you know, the preacher is the one who's proclaiming the word of God and he acts as a prophet. As I went to Bible college many years ago, uh, you, you may find this kind of humorous, and, and this is not to insult teachers by any stretch of the imagination. So if you're a teacher, don't take this too personally. Uh, but the little Bible college that I went through before I, I went to Liberty University is up in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm from New England, and there's a little Bible college up there. And I, I went there, and, and I'll tell you why I went to that Bible college, because my dad told me, he said, now listen, if you're doubting or you're not sure about what God wants you to do, why, why don't you go to a year in a Bible college? And he says, that Bible training will not hurt you. It'll help you no matter what you're doing. And, uh, you know, deep down, I knew God wanted me to be in the ministry, and I was kind of running from it. But I took my dad's advice. I said, okay, I'll go to this little Bible college and, and see what I can learn while I'm there. And I'll spend at least a year or so there. And so I did. I went to this Bible college, and, and this Bible college was very small. You were either going into one of three areas of ministry. You were either going to be a pastor, you were going to be a missionary, or you were going to be a school teacher, probably in a Christian school. And so we would always kid around uh, those who were the elementary ed teachers and uh, preparing to be elementary ed teachers. And there were, there was a few guys that were in there, not that many, but a few. But we used to always kid around with them. We would say, well, you know, those who preach, preach, and those who can't teach. And uh, we kind of give them a hard time because we always thought that we were a little better than them. And uh that's a terrible thing to think because when we think about teaching, teachers have much more of an impact upon the lives of their students than a pastor ever will uh, because I get to talk to my congregation maybe an hour or so a week, uh, maybe two hours if they come to a Bible study or listen to the broadcast. And uh, But a teacher has a class that is captive for six hours a day, five days a week. So they have a tremendous ability in being able to impart God's Word. Well, a prophet is distinct from a teacher in a general sense in that the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, where a teacher may be sharing some great principles that are based upon the Word of God, but they don't have that same level of authority. So there's prophecy. Number two, there's a gift of serving. Now, this is the most common gift. And I think the reason this is such a common gift is because Jesus said this, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to be servant of all. I think you've got to have a servant's heart, no matter what gifting you find that you have. Now, a server is one who is passionate, and their basic motivation, their basic drive, is to demonstrate God's love by meeting practical needs. Oh, every church needs those who have that servant's heart. You know, a servant, he's one who is, or she's one who is diligent, willing to sacrifice their time and, and their energy in order to complete a task. Now, I think this is the most common gift, and it's, a, it's the most commonly needed gift, because every spiritual gift needs to be undergirded with a servant's heart. So we've talked about prophecy, we've talked about serving. Now Paul talks about the gift of teaching. That is one who is able to instruct in truth. Now, a teacher's basic motivational drive is to discover and validate truth. Teachers are very sensitive to doctrinal integrity, uh, they have great research skills, and they're very sincere. Now, Christians who have the gift of teaching, they search for the truth. 
Teachers study diligently, and they're sifting through the scriptures. They're sifting through a whole lot of facts and evidence and figures. And as they sift through artifacts and as they sift through information, they find answers to numerous questions. Now, as I think about the gift of teaching, teaching is not just imparting facts. Not anybody could do that, right? For example, if I just get up and I just read the scriptures to you, I would be imparting facts. I'd be imparting the truth of God's word, but I may not be teaching. I may just be reading something to you. One of the things that I notice about great teachers, they really inspire you, right? Now, as you think about the school that you went through years ago, as you went through elementary school and maybe middle school and then then high school, and uh, I never went to kindergarten, so I never had a kindergarten teacher. Uh, when I was coming through, for some reason, uh, we didn't have kindergarten. And uh, it must have started shortly after because all of my kids went to kindergarten uh, and K-5. I, I never went to K-5. And so I started in the first grade, and I had a wonderful teacher. Her name was Miss Walsh. Now, Miss Walsh, she was an amazing teacher. She was, she was single, and she devoted her entire life to teaching. Uh, it was in a small public school up in Massachusetts, and uh, I always felt like Miss Walsh, I always felt like I was her favorite. Now, I talked to other students in that class, and they all thought they were her favorite. You know, that's a good sign of a teacher. All the students think that they're the teacher's pet. When I think about how she spent time with me, I, I struggled when I was coming through elementary school, and, and uh, I learned in a very young age that I had dyslexia. And so I had to go to a, a special trailer, and I know I didn't have trouble uh, with getting things backwards and inverted. Uh, I also had trouble uh, speaking, uh, believe it or not. And so I went to speech class, and I went to a, a special therapy class to help me with my uh, writing and to help me with my uh, speaking. And, uh, and so I thought I was a special kid because they put me in one of those trailers. And I said, man, only the cool kids get to go in the trailer and, uh, and have a, a, an ex- a special time one-on-one with another teacher. And, and uh, I found out after that I, that I, was, I wasn't special. I was special needs. And that's why I was in that special uh, little trailer. But you know, I got early intervention. And because of those teachers that invested me in my life at a very young age, it made a huge difference in my life. When I think about teachers, we've had good teachers and bad teachers. I had one bad teacher. Uh, she was my third grade teacher. First and second grade wasn't too bad. Uh, third grade was kind of rough. And I had a teacher, and, and she was a retired parochial school teacher. Now, why in the world would you retire uh, well into your 60s from a parochial school and then decide to teach in public school? Well, I don't know why she did, uh, but she did. And she was strict. I tell you, one day I was sitting in class, and, uh, and I, you know, those who struggle academically, sometimes they turn into the class clown. And that's what I was. I was a class clown. And a teacher would ask me a question. I had no earthly idea what she was even talking about. So I'd make up answers and people would start laughing. And so I made up an answer for a question that she asked and the whole class started laughing. Well, well, Ms. Bossy, she didn't think that was too funny. And uh, she took a piece of chalk and she took it out of, you know, you had those five finger uh, contraptions that hold chalk, right? And make straight lines on the board. Well, she took one of those chalks out of that thing and she whipped it at me and it pinged me right off the head, right off the forehead, went boing, right off the top of my forehead. And I started laughing. I said, ow, real loud. And the whole class started laughing. Well, Miss Bossy wasn't too happy with that. And so in her anger, she stormed out of the classroom and she slammed the door. You know, when she slammed that door, the glass in that door shattered into a million pieces. Well, she went to the principal's office and told that principal that I broke the glass in that door. Well, I tell you what, I had a bad experience in third grade. It was a tough time in third grade. But you know what? That didn't stop me from going. 
Listen, maybe you're listening to this broadcast right now and you said, you know what? I'm not going to go back to church because I've had a bad time at church. Hey, you know what? I've had some bad times at churches too. And uh, that shouldn't stop you. You know, I've had a bad time at Walmart, but I still go back to Walmart. I've had a bad time pretty much everywhere I've gone. I've had bad times with my family, uh, and I've had situations that I wish I wasn't in the middle of. But you know what? That doesn't stop me from loving on my family. It doesn't stop me from going to Walmart. Uh, Listen, when you think about it, everybody's had a bad experience somewhere along the line. Hey, you think about how the enemy works. You know, if I were the enemy, I'd get you all worked up about something that's really going to help you so that you don't get the help that you need. I think that's why every Sunday, every single Sunday, the most faithful person that attends church is Satan and his angels. They're there wreaking havoc, and sometimes they get people stirred up, and they get people thinking the wrong way, get people turned sideways. You know, as you think about that, if you can get past that, you would discover the wonderful gift the church is to us. Somebody once said this, and I think it's so true. You will never get past whatever it takes to get you discouraged. You know, several years ago, our church was going through a hard time, and uh, my wife and I were just beside ourselves. We couldn't figure out what exactly was going on, and, 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 and it seemed like every Sunday we'd show up at church, and, and we'd walk into church, and we'd say, well, I wonder who's going to drop out of church this week. And it was just a difficult time. And, and people that I loved and people that I highly respected uh, were turning on me. And I did a whole lot of self-inventory. I confessed every sin that I could possibly think about. I confessed to even th- sins that I didn't do because I thought, well, I must be the problem here. And I just poured my heart out to God. You know what God was doing? God was doing a cleansing. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He was cleansing our church. Oh, it was a, it was a very difficult time to go through. But on the other side, our church was stronger. Our church was purer. As a result of, of good teaching, we can get through the difficulties of life. Well, we've talked about serving. We've talked about teaching. Let's talk about the gift of exhortation or exhorting. Now, exhortation is a gift that enables a person to encourage others to become more mature in Christ Jesus. So when you think about exhortation, It is an encouraging gift. Now, those with the gift of exhortation, they will attempt to bring out the best in people. And indeed, they do bring out spiritual maturity. So, exhortation not only includes encouraging, but sometimes rebuking. Rebuking believers for their sins. It is not the same as teaching, because the gift of exhortation is a call to action. As a matter of fact, there's a whole book in the Bible that I would call the book of exhortation. It's the book of Jude. And what is Jude writing about? He is writing about the church that is not contending for their faith any longer. Jude chapter, uh, verse number three, there's only one chapter in Jude. And Jude three says, Beloved, while eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write and to appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Jude is talking to a congregation that is is being soft on sin, soft on false doctrine. They're just allowing it to creep into the church. And and, and Jude says, wake up. You've got to deal with this. Contend for the faith. Listen, remember how you got saved. Now, as I think about this gift of exhortation, uh, the person who has got this wonderful gift When he's walking in the Spirit, he is such a blessing to the congregation. But if he's not walking in the Spirit, he can develop this critical attitude. And so 
all of these gifts, we must remind ourselves that we must be led by the Spirit. That's why Paul is driving home the point that we must be humble with these gifts. We must use these gifts, realizing it that we're part of the, the body of, of Christ. These gifts aren't designed to lift us up. These gifts are designed to lift up others. Well, I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow as we go through the rest of this list talking about spiritual gifts. Now, again, I'm going to give you the website, if you missed it early in the broadcast, about where you can go to have this spiritual gifts inventory. Go to churchgrowth.org backslash spiritual gifts. There's a free inventory on there, and you just click on that little tab that says take the test. Go ahead and take that test, and then that will give you the strengths that you have. Now, it's not going to tell you exactly what your spiritual gift is, but it will point out to you where your strengths are. And we've used this tool for a long time uh, in our new members class that we call Starting Point. And uh, so if you need any help with that, feel free to shoot me a text, 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you'll join me tomorrow as we continue going down these seven gifts that are given to the church and we'll apply it with God's grace and genuine love. And then we'll talk about how it produces acts of grace. Well, God bless you. I so appreciate you joining me today. I'll talk to you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.